0: Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light Mountain, cold refreshment, made to chill. We'll go over some news and notes from across the league and then get into offseason news and notes related to the New York Giants. So glad you could spend part of your Friday with us. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Let's start with... Paul, the biggest news of the day, and that is the Washington Redskins are going to release veteran Josh Norman. And the reason why that's interesting, it's not a surprise. He did not have much playing time last season as he did in previous years. They were essentially phasing him out of Mm -hmm. the defense. The only thing I think that makes it slightly surprising is the fact that he was reunited with Ron Rivera, who was his Carolina Panthers head coach for four seasons. So you figured. I don't know, maybe they would restructure his contract, they would find ways to utilize him, but it was also a cost-cutting move because of the amount of money he was due in the upcoming season. But when you were released at this point, Paul, it's important to note Josh Norman can now sign with anybody immediately. He does not have to wait for the start of the new league year. That's what also is very interesting about free agents who are veterans, who have accrued years that get let go at this point. That means Norman could very well join a new team before the new league year even begins.
1: Yeah, the terminology is street free agent. Yeah. Whenever you hear that somebody is a street free agent, there will not be any mathematical computations regarding compensation. That's it. He is free and clear, totally 100%. You just got to negotiate a deal with him, and there is no paying the piper on this. That You're done. You just get him. Uh, and that's where Norman stands right now. He played 53% of the snaps. Which is a big drop-off. Last year. From, from, from where he was previously. Well, yeah. It's a huge drop-off, especially to his ego. Well, that's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I'm sure he wasn't
0: too pleased, let's put it this way, what he saw 53% at the end of the season. The bottom line is the writing was on the wall. Now, Norman, I'm sure, is going to receive some interest because if you're a team with a young secondary, Paul, you can do a whole lot worse than Josh Norman if you want to bring in a veteran to just give you more depth and more substance. I'm sure there's going to be a few teams, especially he, I'm sure, is going to be interested in joining a team that's a contender that has a legitimate chance to win immediately.
1: Well see the key will be if the team brings him in for an interview, obviously they're gonna to have to give him a physical and so forth, yep. but if they believe that he still physically has the talent to compete at a high level, they're gonna to wanna to know about his attitude at this point. Is he still just a big noisemaker who doesn't have the skills to back up those those quotes and, and his his ego? Or or is he a bit humbled after being on two teams, and as he heads to a third organization, is he simply going to work his behind off to try to prove to everybody that he still has quality snaps left in the tank? That can go either way. Sometimes guys in this boat just take on water, and their career just continues to go downhill, and there is never a resurgence. Other times, the guy will find something within himself to dig deep, and pride comes out, and he does have a couple of more productive years. I don't know which way Josh Norman's going to go because, quite frankly, he's been a very colorful character, to say the least. I'm not personally a big fan of his, but the bottom line is, if he can help a team and they believe in a resurgence he will get another chance.
0: Well, and that's why it comes down to opportunity. I think you laid it out perfectly, Paul. It really depends on what a team is willing to offer Josh Norman, and is he willing to accept that role. I think if you're looking for a third wide receiver at this point in his career, I think Norman's a really good fit. You mean corner. Corner, excuse me. I think he's a good fit at that position where, you know, you feel you're good with your top two guys, but you want that third guy who you rotate in, Paul, so that maybe you move one of the other guys to the slot and you utilize Norman in different plays, different selections. I think he'd be perfect for that.
1: Well, you know, part of this is going to be, does he want to come in and compete? for a starting job, or does he in his own mind believe that he automatically becomes a starter if he goes somewhere? Well, and that goes back to opportunity and his
0: mindset and whether or not both of those things are met based on what the team is willing to offer him. I'm sure if you're Josh Norman, the competitive fire in him, if he uses this as motivation and says, all right, you know, the Redskins didn't really believe in me the last season, now I want to go out there, I want to quiet the skeptics, I'm sure he's probably going to be looking for an opportunity where he can compete for a starting job, as well as be that rotational player. But let's face it, Paul. In today's NFL, you need three starting corners. So you do. Everybody who talks about you need top two guys, you need three. You need three guys going into the season. You that really you can need say, four. You can rely on four because of injuries. And also, you probably are going to rotate four guys who are going to play starting type of snaps to begin with. So I'm with you there. That is, to me, a minimum. So that is attractive and promising for a guy like Josh Norman. Because how many teams going into the offseason right now are saying to themselves, yeah, we're okay. We've got three to four starting corners that we believe in. So the opportunity, I think, is going to be there. It's just a matter of, are there going to be teams that are attractive to him? Because I think Norman, after what he went through with the Redskins, I would think he wants to go to a team that has a legitimate shot to get to the playoffs. That's probably what's Mm -hmm. near the top of the list for him. Does a team come calling? There's always a playoff contender that is one veteran corner away from maybe getting to the promised land. And that's why I think there is going to be opportunity there for him.
1: Is he a bad ingredient for the soup? Yeah, I don't look at him
0: the way that you painted. And I'm not saying that you're off. I get it. He's talkative. But I don't, He carried a baseball bat onto the field. Yeah, but that was also a few years ago, and that was bad blood between he and Odell Beckham. They those two specifically had a history together. But you have not seen Norman do that with any other individual he not player. Sense. So he I, not since. So I think that was more personal beef. And remember, there was a huge buildup, Paul, to that game between the two teams, the importance of that game. I think that was on an island. I don't think that was a usual way that he goes about his business. So to answer your question, my personal opinion, if I'm an executive, I'm not looking at Norman and scared off based on some of the baggage. I would just want to hear... What type of a role he's willing to accept, and if it's okay that he may not get 80% of the snaps. And if he can live with that, then mm-hmm. I'd be more than happy to bring him in and compete.
1: Well, in any event, the bottom line is Norman is now one of the bigger names who has been let go in the last couple of weeks. And the truth of the matter is, and I guess I can't remember the last time I was on the program, it was a few days ago, uh, the Giants coaching staff, the 2020 coaching staff, has completed all the reviews of the tapes of the 2019 Giants players who are still on the roster. So those grades, if you will, have been handed over to the front office and the personnel department, and now they need to determine the future of some of these guys. Okay, The other thing that's happened is the Giants uh, staff, the coaches, the scouts, the the personnel people, the, the, the front office, they have also gone through free agency. And tried to determine, okay, what about the Giants' own free agents? And then as they continue to go through the process, they start looking at other free agents that are going to pop up. And then, of course, the Scouts have been meeting to finalize a lot of their plans as we head to the Combine in another week and a half. So those are the kinds of things that are are driving the machine as we speak. And we sit here today at the moment without any news nuggets because the Giants have been relatively quiet. In fact, they've been silent on everything since they hired all of their assistant coaches. Well, and
0: they're certainly not going to reveal the evaluations of their
1: own players no, no, publicly. But I would anticipate that at some point soon, if they are going to make uh, some roster moves, That's possible they would be coming up uh, at some point in the next week or so. This is usually the area where you'll see some veterans who are going to wind up being street-free agents when teams decide that they will not be part of the future.
0: No, I think that's a, a fair synopsis. Plus, on top of that, just in terms of timing, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge, we are expected to hear from both of them at the Combine. Yes, Usually the coach and the general manager speak. So there will be some public acknowledgement from the team in terms of the direction of the team. Not that everything's going to be revealed and laid out, but there will be a press conference of some sort during the combine. So you could certainly anticipate and look forward to that. Uh, speaking of free agency news, Mike Garofolo, who broke the story about Josh Norman, is now reporting that the Redskins are going to part ways with veteran wide receiver Paul Richardson. So that's going to be another street free agent that mm-hmm. is going to be out there. And that goes to your point, Paul, that this is the time of the year where teams start to part ways with individuals, especially because, you know, we're closing in on a month away from the start of the new league year. So every team's going to have to get their salary cap in order. You have to be under the salary cap by the time the new league year starts. You can't then start making all of a sudden a million different transactions. So that's really why a lot of these moves are happening leading up to the start of the new league year because they know that financially all the numbers have to match up.
1: And, you know, to be honest with you, there are some guys, and I'm I'm not going to just throw names out right now, but there are some guys who are going to be salary cap cuts in the next couple of weeks, that are going to surprise some people. There always are. I mean, we could foresee some of the people who, you know, you kind of know that based on their performance, they probably didn't live up to expectations. And I'm not just talking about the Giants. I'm talking about league-wide. You know, you can kind of look and say, okay, this guy probably didn't do what they wanted him to do. There's a chance he's going to be free. But there are always a handful of guys who have some name recognition who people are just like, hmm, how'd that happen? Oh, yeah, he's making too much money. <laughs> and then he turns out to be a salary cap cut. There, there's gonna be some of those guys. Well, and I think Norman fits
0: that bill to exactly what you're talking about, Well, Paul. I think
1: his it, performance and usage kind of lent itself to people thinking he could be on the way out. But also somebody
0: do about $12 million. Didn't help. Because of <laughs> did not the help. percentage of snaps. You're right, did not aid his cause. But all of those factors come into play at this time of the year.
1: I wonder how much um, the coaching change impacted their desire to either get rid of him or even consider about retaining him. Because, you know, Ron Rivera had him in Carolina. Well, I mentioned that, yeah, off the top. So he comes to to Washington, and did Ron Rivera look at the film and say, you know what, he's not the same guy? Possible. Did they even consider— renegotiating his deal, and juggling his numbers, and did they give Norman an ultimatum that said, if you don't redo your numbers and take a pay cut and come down to X, we're going to have to let you go, or did Rivera just say, you know what, not worth it, goodbye?
0: Well, I think all of those factors are in play. I also would not rule out that maybe there was a conversation, we're going to let you go, Go and test the market, and then we could perhaps consider bringing you back too. Doesn't sound like it, but I would on not Norman's... rule that out. Well, no, it looks no- like Norman, Norman, is, Norman excited. is the one who is. Correct. He is went on Twitter and put out an gone. emoji. It looks like he's looking forward and moving forward as opposed to returning. But hey, how many times have we seen that? All of a sudden the market's dry, Paul, and then your old team comes calling it you. It can happen. And all of a sudden, you know, beggars can't be choosers under the circumstances. But all of the things you mentioned, I think, are feasible. Uh, based on what we're seeing. Keep this in mind, too, speaking of what you just talked about. When Ron Rivera was in Carolina, he also had different defensive coordinator. Now yes. he brought in Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio does not have a history with Josh Norman. And I'm sure if you're Ron Rivera, regardless of what you see on film, you're probably going to ask Jack Del Rio, what did you see on film from Josh Norman? And you know, maybe those feelings are not in alignment. And that was also... Mm-hmm. A factor into why they decided to move on.
1: Uh, a big name you might want to keep an eye on, Joel Corey of uh, CBS Sports, the known capologist, uh, has tweeted out that Everson Griffin of the Vikings has an option to void his contract until February 25th. Uh, Griffin would be a much sought-after free agent if he, he hits would. the market.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, he had uh, off-the-field issue where he was not with the team a Mm -hmm. few years ago, but since he's returned, he's been an extremely productive player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Something tells me, I think the Vikings are going to do everything in their power to make sure they retain his services because uh, he's been a big part of Mike Zimmer's defense since Zimmer pretty much arrived on the scene in Minnesota. Before we open up the phone lines, just on the topic of cornerback, I think it's interesting to look at where Norman lies compared to who else is going to be out there at that position, Paul. And, We've put together a list of all of the premier free agents at every position. Cornerback right now, just heading into free agency, you're looking at, at least in terms of the top names, Byron Jones of the Cowboys, okay, Chris Harris of the Broncos, Logan Ryan of Tennessee, he was also a former Patriot, Trey Waynes, and Brian Poole, I would say, in terms of the top five guys on our list in terms of who's going to be available at that position. There's plenty of other corners. I mean, we could sit here and do an entire show analyzing every single corner, but Norman now is going to be thrown in with that group. And Jones and Harris, I think, are going to receive by far plenty of attention. And Ryan, to me, is somewhat of a sleeper player because I think he's a name that may not be a household name, but I think if anybody needs a corner, You could do, once again, a whole lot worse than Logan Ryan, and he's been in a variety of different defenses, specifically in New England, and played very well when he was there. So, you know, those to me are clearly the top three guys. Norman's a name. That doesn't mean Norman would equate to the level of production, though, for those three. Don't misinterpret that.
1: You know, there's somebody out there on the free agent list that I would just want to bring attention to, only because when he played for the Giants, he did a really nice job in his one year in Big Blue. That's Ross Cockrell. And then he got hurt, if you remember, Mm -hmm. with Carolina. Yes, and he's now a free agent or a pending free agent when the league year opens up in in just another couple of weeks. Uh, I think Ross Cockrell performed really well in his one season with New York after the trade from the Steelers. Now, you know, that guy is probably going to go under the radar. He's not considered a premier player, not a big-name player, not a high-money player. But Ross Cockrell, you know, if he's healthy... And, uh, you know, he checks out that way. I could see a team saying, you know what? Yeah, you could be one of my top four corners. Why not?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think the health is probably the biggest thing to just check out and uh, see where he is. But there's always the need, Paul, for a veteran, especially a guy who could play the slot. Good attitude guy, too. Good teammate. A good locker room presence. There's no doubt about it. There's always room for somebody like that in today's NFL. I don't think there's any question with respect to that. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Let's open up the phone line. Scott is in New Mexico. He gets us going on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hello? Scott going once. Scott, are you there? Uh, okay.
2: There he is. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I was
3: looking at the Giants sack production last year. And Do you
1: have a microscope? No, no, no. It was it was a little better last year than the year before. That, that's for sure. But it but, does need to get better.
3: Yeah, I was, uh, but I was looking at actually who was doing what. And B.J. Hill had one sack. Leonard Williams a half a sack. Uh, Davin Tomlinson, who doesn't get talked about a lot, had three and a half. And Dexter Lawrence had two and a half. My question to you, as we talked, I think, the other day, I think I was talking with you, Lance, in regards to impact players, and I always wanted to get, obviously, a defensive end, since Chase Young is probably going to be a pipe dream, uh, A.J. Espinosa is another player I was looking at as potential impact player. But based on your conversation that you just had, uh, can a guy like Jeffrey Okuda, who's a considered to be a shutdown quarter be as big an impact player because if you go back to the model of Kansas City I don't know if either of you know this but Teron Matthew was actually named the most valuable player by the Kansas City Chiefs team not not uh, Patrick Mahomes because of what he uh, allowed the defense to do and I think the major problems on the on the Giants is really on the defensive side and I think we talked about who's an impact player that can really make a difference now that we've already addressed a lot of draft capital with uh, Beal and with uh, DeAndre Baker, but if they drafted the a guy like Jeffrey Okuda on the fourth round, is he a bigger impact player, or do you need to have the production on sacks being able to reach the quarterback? I was wondering what your either of your opinions are were that say an Espinez is available for or Jeffrey Okuda is available for w- what direction might you go in?
0: Well, I think the Giants are in much more of a need of a pass rusher and an impactful player up front more so than on the back end. Uh, Okuda of Ohio State, just to clarify for our listeners, and remember, he played with a guy, Chase Young, up front, who certainly helped his cause. I mean, let's not be naive here. I mean, that helped the fact that you get a guy off the edge that's putting pressure, and then Okuda, you know, reaped the rewards for that. When you look at his numbers in college, Okuda actually had his first interceptions this season. That's not to say that he's not a good cover guy, but if in order to be that game-changing type of corner, to your point, Scott, right. you would have to have about five interceptions in year one as a rookie, which I think is asking a lot for a rookie corner. You would need a number of passes defense. Do you need forced fumbles? I mean, I would need that out of you to have the equivalency of a guy up front getting seven or eight sacks that's what I would need out of a corner and I would think that's much more difficult to do for a corner than to get a young pass rusher to come in and ask him to get six to seven
1: sacks I'm inclined to agree with you Lance
3: okay so this uh I'll, I'll take this question off the air but do you think that the players that we currently have and I I thought they were halfway decent as far as the line play that's what I'm really talking about was it a schematic thing that didn't allow them to get to the quarterback? Was it the talent itself? Or have you been able to put your finger on where you think the improvement needs to lie with the players they already have? In order, to, Because one player, even if they draft them, they're going to need those players to get sacks as well. And I was wondering if, with the new coaching staff, if they're going to change things around to make them – Obviously, a better pass rushing unit, because that's what you really need. You need, you keep, I know, Paul, you made reference to a Batman and Robin, but you sort of need the Justice League when you're talking <laughs> about uh, pass rushers. and Take so, it to
1: another level. Yeah. Yes, DC Francisco comic level. Kansas City yeah. are yeah. the ones
3: that you look at as models. So I was just curious, do you think the coaching staff can actually improve the players we have already to make them a cohesive unit so far as being able to attack the quarterback? And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Have a nice weekend.
0: All right, Scott. Thanks for the call.
1: Yeah, in retrospect, uh, I became very disappointed in what Betcher was running, the defensive coordinator this past year with the team. I did think that his first year here, a lot had to do with a a lack of uh, players, okay? I thought last year the Giants brought in a lot of young players on defense. Certainly their inexperience did cause some issues. But I also thought, to be honest with you, that the coordinator was not flexible enough to necessarily adjust to them and get the most out of them. So uh, part of your question about the coaching staff, I do believe that the changing coaching staff is going to be a significant plus and get more production out of the players that the Giants hold over from last year's roster. I do believe that. I think that's almost like having an extra draft pick because I believe that much in this coaching staff and what Joe Judge and his people are going to try to do. Uh, You know, coming from the Belichickian universe, uh, as Coach Graham is, the defensive coordinator, uh, I I, – Look, you guys know, this is no secret. I absolutely have the most respect for Bill Belichick. I have said he has surpassed Vince Lombardi as the greatest coach in NFL history, and that was very hard for me to do because I'm a Lombardi guy. But Belichick is is number one. And for Graham to bring a ton of Belichick principles to this defense, remember, some of those Patriots teams that were champions or just even contenders we're near the bottom in sack totals. Let's not forget that. Somehow, someway, Belichick found ways to put together a productive defense that didn't necessarily sack quarterbacks, but did enough to confuse them and did enough to get pressure on them. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to have only 30 sacks, but it is possible, and Belichick has shown this, that you can have a mediocre at best sack number even a poor sack number and because of your schematics because of your camouflaging because of your ability to adjust on the fly and make good decisions on the fly you can be an effective defense and i think that's important to note.
0: well i think you also need of course good guys that are able to tackle out in open space, no doubt. You know, with multiple fronts and they so forth. They still
1: need infusion. Yeah. players. Let's you know, not the kid fundamentals ourselves.
0: are still going to be important here. It's not just the sack total. It to me is a, a variety of other things that you know the Giants were lacking in certain departments. To look at Kansas City and look at the Chiefs breakdown, Kansas City had forty-five sacks. The Giants had thirty-six. Just to look at the Super Bowl champ as a comparison, right? With Kansas City, nobody had double-digit sacks. For the Chiefs this season, but it was a spread the wealth mentality. Okay,
1: who's the defensive coordinator? Spags. Steve Spagnolo. Yeah. Another guy who commands tremendous respect for maximizing the potential of his players. See, when you have an outstanding coordinator, he can get your guys as a unit to play above and beyond their individual numbers. That's what makes Spags who he is. That's what makes Belichick and his defensive guys who they are. I really believe that Patrick Graham is going to try to show some of that here with the Giants. Well, and here's
0: the other thing to note, speaking of Spags, when I'm looking over the Chiefs numbers, Chris Jones had nine, Frank Clark had eight. Okay, so your two elite defensive linemen came through with 17 of your 45 sacks. You want that. But – Those are Robin numbers,
1: by the way. Those are not that many No, they're not.
0: Well, that's why I said. Nobody had double-digit sacks. But if you were to tell me you get 9 and 8 from your two top guys and then the compliments are going to help make up for it, you could live with that, Paul. That's a respectable number. It's not as if you need 15 from one guy. You want 15 from one guy, but you can live with it. Plus, Chris Jones was banged up this season, too. You have to take that into consideration. Frank Clark nor Chris Jones played all 16 games. They did miss five games between the two of them. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at the number breakdown and Tyron Matthew got two. That's not an overwhelming number, but for a safety to give you two sacks, that's key. Then Anthony Hitchens and Damian Wilson, two interior linebackers, gave you three and a half additional sacks. Those are areas where the Giants weren't getting that sack production. That goes to scheme, Paul. Mm -hmm. That goes to Spags lining up guys in a position either through a blitz or getting them in lanes where they can get after the quarterback. So that's where you make up for not having Batman, not having
1: Robin. The other part to the equation that we have left out to this point, but I'm going to throw it in there right now, it's not only the number of sacks, it's also when you get them. Timing. It's a big deal. And a guy like Spags, you know, he will make sure – that in the critical moments of the game, and certainly in the second half and in the fourth quarter of games, his defense is going to step up and cause you problems. Just like Belichick's defense will. Because these guys are able to adjust on the fly, not only at halftime, but between quarters, sometimes between series, when they know that it's time. Backs up against the wall. we got to do something to stop these guys. Your best defensive coordinators, your best football minds, they will find a way to scheme it and adjust it to make sure that they're able to get that job done. That's what makes the elite defensive coaches in this league separated from the other guys.
0: Well, and it's funny you bring up timing because I was going to say it's no coincidence the last time the Giants made the playoffs and the last time the Giants' defense came through consistently in crunch time, was 2016, when who was the defensive coordinator? Steve Spagnuolo. Bing! So that was a season, and to this day, I still claim that that was a season, and this is not taking anything away from the Giants. You are who your record is, but that record could have easily tilted the opposite way because of how many close games they played well, that season.
1: Eli had six come from behind, fourth quarter or overtime victory, so he was sensational in the clutch, and his defense, but the defense also too played yeah. lockdown in the fourth quarter of games, too. So between the Spags component and the Eli component, the Giants were able to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, think about... All of these games, uh, we don't have to rehash
0: 2016, but I'm just bringing up the schedule, and you think about the big-time plays, the Saints game that they won by three, Victor Cruz making the catch up the sideline to seal it, and the special teams touchdown by Janoris Jenkins. This is just me going off the top of my head against the Rams. That was the game in London. Remember the multiple mm-hmm. interceptions? Landon, Landon Collins. Collins returns the touchdown. Oh, oh, man. All right, so your defense big makes another big play. Beckham, too. Huge. Philadelphia after the bye, that was the game here at MetLife Stadium. If you recall, Carson Wentz is driving the Eagles down the field mm-hmm. and then a key deflection in the corner of the end zone right side. The Giants hold on to win by five. The Bengals game, Rashad Jennings picks up a late first down. Yes, They win 21-20. You get the point. It was a combination of clutch plays, whether it be the offense or the defense. Good but times. You don't guys. get that. Good times. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> in a season where things click and the result usually is you get to the playoffs because you're winning a high percentage of those close games. We talk about this all the time. You call it quicksand. I call it parity. The bottom line is there's not a huge separation between most teams in the NFL. Even though it does look like certain teams are on an island, Paul, compared to the rest of the league, there really isn't a huge separation. So what gets you into the playoffs every year is your ability to close out games, but most important, win the close games. That's what separates the men from the boys in the NFL. The Giants have not been able to take care of business in that department since 2016, but also there were issues prior to 2016, and that was why they have not made the playoffs more often than not. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here. Carl is in Syracuse. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Carl?
2: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Good Hi. afternoon, to you. What's on your mind? So, so to tie in with a lot of that stuff is, is in my opinion, the injuries um, in, in the the back end of your roster and continuing to have playmakers that are going to step in like when Connolly, who looked like he was on a good path goes down or do we have linebackers that are going to be able to come in and be playmakers and it it just that's why it feels like Simmons being there um, could just be another playmaker in that uh, linebacking core Uh, just like we had to have multiple defensive backs in today's NFL with all the wide receivers um, we got to spread it around like I hopefully Zimenez continues to you know his stock is only going up it seems I think they could maximize talent for sure from him with the new coaching staff um, I have a question about Ngakwe though do you see him as a Batman
1: Ooh. Uh, or is it just
2: another maybe it's- overpaid Robin
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be an overpaid Robin, to be honest with you. I'm not 100% sold that, that he's going to live up to his next contract.
0: I like Ngakwe. My concern, this actual topic Carl came up on yesterday's show or the day before, and my response was in line with Paul. I don't think he's overrated. My concern about Ngakwe is he's been surrounded by a lot of talent up front in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to say if I take Ngakwe out of that, I put him with a team that has a bunch of complimentary guys, can he still get those one-on-one opportunities and win those battles? I would say I have much more confidence in Shaq Barrett doing that on his own than I do Ngakwe because I think I've seen more out of Barrett win those individual battles And I think Ngakwe has benefited because Jacksonville was just loaded up front with guys like Calais Campbell and all of these other great linebackers that they have, Josh Allen, who they just drafted. Mm -hmm. So many guys you have to pay attention, Paul, in that front seven for Jacksonville. Where I think a team's going to take a chance on him unless Jacksonville tags him and I wouldn't fault them for taking a chance but you're really rolling the dice because of what he's been surrounded with in Jacksonville
1: this is great timing on his contract you gotta love <laughs> it you if you're his rep you gotta love it and, and kudos to him right. he deserves to cash in every player uh, does
2: and I was looking over like a, a lot of uh, you know game rewind of Vic Beasley and I feel like he, he tries to use his speed around the edge first almost all the time and a lot of times it works and when it doesn't it seems like he cuts it back inside and tries to find a lane down the middle which is sometimes effective and sometimes you just get stuffed.
1: Um it's interesting and, you mention him because we were t- I was talking about to him uh, the other day with uh, Schmelk uh, on the program and you know he's very down on Vic Beasley and uh, look how can you be real high on him when he's never really reached his full potential but I did want to bring up the fact that somebody like Dante Fowler, you know, winds up changing sceneries. Jaguars to the Rams. Goes to the Rams, and he's a double-digit sack guy, and all of a sudden now he's making some impact. Sometimes it's possible, it's possible, that coaching and scheme and a change of scenery can reinvigorate a guy's career. Look at Robert Quinn. He had double digit sacks for the Cowboys this year, when everybody thought that his goose was already cooked.
0: Yeah, had a very nice season.
1: So you know, so, you know, I don't want to throw Vic Beasley in the trash bin. To me, he would warrant another look if I were some teams around the NFL. I'm not necessarily saying the Giants, but I do think that, you know, you would want to investigate Vic Beasley very carefully before you just shoved him aside and said, No, he's not worth it because he's still young enough in his career that he could potentially find a second life with somebody. Yeah, I'm well, with you. W-
2: watching some of his successful highlight plays, you can see that there is definitely talent there. He definitely has bend and speed on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Is it maybe that maybe they can scheme things better to to maybe run stunts and get him inside with our our guys like Lawrence and and Williams who can create.
1: Well, again, I know, don't know if he's a great fit for the Giants because, quite frankly, and I know this is really it sounds like a cop out, but. We have not had a chance to talk to Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, and get inside the core of what he wants to do. We keep talking about what we think he's going to do. He's going to be very Belichickian, and we think he's going to use a lot of Belichick's principles. But until we actually talk to him, and of course he's probably not going to tell us much anyway, at least not before the draft, uh, it's it's kind of hard to project What kind of player or which players should potentially be Giants? It's just, I'm sorry to say, but we're kind of in the dark on this without having the opportunity to talk to the coordinator.
0: I think Beasley is a guy that I would consider taking a chance on. You know, here's the other thing attractive about Beasley. He's held up over the course of his rookie contract. He's only missed two games In five years. I mean, that's pretty impressive. He did have a 15 and a half sack season. I know his numbers have dropped off since. He had eight sacks this past season. You could get a guy to be an extra compliment that give you six to seven sacks. And maybe you can even draw more potential out of him. I think he's somebody that is a dangerous player because I think his stock is extremely low right now. And sometimes those guys need to get a reality check that they're no longer at the top of the world. Get hungry, go to another team. He's an intriguing player from that standpoint.
1: I'm not so sure that he's a three-down player, though. Well, that remains to be I, I seen based
0: on, of course, what the scheme calls for, too. It does. And how you would utilize but
1: him. But perhaps, perhaps he goes to another team and he's strictly a situational pass rusher and they have a scheme that will work for him. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a three-down backer, though. I mean, that would be the ultimate turnaround. If he's able to reclimate, uh, resuscitate his career, I should say, and wind up being a three-down Player. I don't necessarily think that may happen, but he certainly you could about, you know, be a scheme guy.
2: Right, and when, you, and when you talk about being multiple, like we've talked about, you know, like you guys have talked about a lot on the show, I know he has gone into coverage a little. He is an outside linebacker, and he has dropped into coverage. I don't know how great he is at it, but he definitely has speed.
1: Well, he's played a lot of defensive end in their scheme. You know, in terms of the role that he's had, he hasn't always been a linebacker. There have been times he's basically served as a defensive end.
2: But I wonder if he still does. Maybe if they could use him in that capacity.
1: Again, there are a lot of a lot of questions here, and I, and I don't know that we have any concrete answers for you right now.
0: I mean, I don't see but why it's asking too much, and appreciate the phone call, Carl, and not because Patrick Graham has said anything that you know gives you indications of the type of players that he's looking for. But if you look at Bill Belichick and you look at Patrick Graham and the term "multiple." he is a guy that will use multiple fronts. So if he's going to use a four-man front, and then other times he's going to use a three-man front, and then some other times he's going to have five guys on the line, then those would be ways to move Beasley around to take him from a linebacker and put him on the edge, on the line. So I think just based on the surface... Yes, I think that's reasonable if they did bring somebody like him in. I don't see why you couldn't move him under certain circumstances on the defensive line. I, I don't think that that uh, would be a, a crazy proposition.
1: Here's a great example of a guy who was basically on his way to being a journeyman. How about Van Noy? Kyle oh, Detroit. Van Noy. In Detroit, he's... Also a former Patriot, too. Right? He's really nothing. And then all of a sudden he goes to New England, and, oh, guess what? Now he's a big part of their defense. Now he's not putting up superstar numbers, but he is a significant cog in the Patriots' defense. Who would have thunk that after he starts his career in Detroit and he's just considered a spare part?
0: Sometimes guys just need different environments, Paul. We've seen it time and time again. Sometimes they need to get into a scheme or they need to be aligned with a coach that knows how to utilize them. There's a variety of factors why players don't work out in one place and then they thrive elsewhere. I don't think there's really one rule of thumb. That's more of a reason why you can't read so much into if a player has not produced that he should not be looked at. There's a reason why the pro personnel department Mm – takes everybody into consideration and ranks everybody on a board just like they do the draft. Because you have to be prepared that if your first target or your second target winds up signing for mega money, you better have plan B and C in place. And that's where guys like this that we're talking about who may have not clicked in their first rodeo, but second time it registered.
1: Spags had a guy in 2007, Kavika Mitchell. There's another one, yeah. Who was basically just an ordinary linebacker with the Chiefs. He signs a one-year deal with the Giants, and Spags makes him a very important part of that Super Bowl championship team. In 2011, Michael Boley, who had had, I think, an underwhelming career in Atlanta, comes to the Giants, and then in 2011 has his one career year and was a big part of that defense as they won the Super Bowl again. Uh, beating the Patriots. I mean, it does happen. Well, and the other reason, keep in mind, is
0: sometimes it depends on the talent around the player too, Paul. No question. Let's not dismiss that.
1: No question. I mean, we're
0: talking about speculating if you take an edge rusher from Jacksonville and you put him on his own, how is he going to produce? Well, it's no different than sometimes a guy is the guy, right? He has to be Batman. He can't handle being Batman. You put him with Robin, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, where did this come from? Or Shaq Barrett. Barrett was not putting up the numbers he did this past season with Denver, but I think Barrett, it was also more of opportunity. His mm-hmm. snaps went up, Paul. Mm-hmm. What Tampa Bay was asking him to do wasn't necessarily the same thing Denver was asking him to do. So, once again, variety of factors. There's not just one thing. Let's head back to the phone line. Steve is in New York. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Steve?
4: Good afternoon. Good afternoon.
0: Same to you. What do you got?
4: So, this is, I need someone to help me bring me back into reality, maybe. Um, Wrong place to call.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh Go ahead.
4: Well, because I got such high hopes, and I'll tell you why. First off, I like to take a judge as the coach, and I like the coaching staff he's put together. Um, But I look at our division. And if I don't look at individual players that are available or not, or performing or not, I'm just looking at our division, and the landscape has changed so much. Three of the teams, new head coaches, new coaching staffs. Normally when you start a new coaching staff, you're behind the ball, right? Okay. And the whole division's behind the eight ball. The Eagles lead our division as like, you know, they're the champs of the division, and they weren't really all that good. And I just feel like if we could just, Our offensive side of the ball really isn't that far away from from being very competitive, I feel like. Defensively, we have a lot of holes.
1: Well, of the three teams that made the changes, before you go any further, the three teams that made the changes, Dallas, the Giants, and Washington. Well, think about it. The Giants have Jason Garrett and Patrick Graham as their coordinators. Graham was a Giant before that. Garrett was a long time ago, but most recently was the head coach with the Cowboys. Graham and Garrett know this division very, very well. I can't say that about the changes that were made in Washington and Dallas. Those staffs don't nearly have the familiarity with the NFC East as the Giants coordinators do. I think that's fair to say. Well, Kellen Moore is still the offensive coordinator
0: for the Cowboys, so he was there, and he has familiarity. Yeah, Mike McCarthy brought in guys from all over the place. There's no doubt about it. I wouldn't say that all of them came within the NFC East, and same thing with Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio. These guys have been around football. Right. They haven't necessarily been
1: immersed in the division. But to his point about Philly having the consistency of the coaching staff, well, the Giants fortunately happen to, to have two coordinators who know a lot about this division too, and that may help them a little bit in terms of comfort zone. Well, the the reason why—listen, I
0: get your point, Steve. I just personally—I don't read too much into it because, remember, when McAdoo took over as a first-time head coach, they made the playoffs that year. And, yes, he kept some guys that were on Tom Coughlin's staff. He also brought in new guys, and things clicked. So I I don't really think whether you have a new coaching staff or an old coaching staff, it gives you a huge edge. I don't think it hurts Philadelphia— But I don't really think the Giants are slightly ahead of Washington or Dallas simply because maybe they have a few more guys that are familiar with the division. Everybody's going to be studying film Mm -hmm. and studying up on their opposition over these next few months. And it wasn't as if all of these coaching staffs were put into place... March or April, you know, they all pretty much were put into place simultaneously because just, of he's just how the coaching point, search Lance. goes I don't,
1: I don't think no, he's I'm, necessarily I'm not, banking the season on it, but no, I think I, it's a I'm fair not. point, Colin. Yeah, and I'm not, once again,
0: l- let me also clarify, Steve, be, before you continue and we'll let you talk. L- let me clarify. When I bring up something, and I'm not going after you. It's not me attacking the point of the caller. It's me bringing something different to the table. We can all have a conversation and bring different perspectives. I don't have to sit here and compliment every caller's point. No, no, I'm bringing that up because of some conversations on Twitter. Okay, I'm just clarifying that. It's not me attacking anybody. It's simply me looking at it through a different lens. I'm entitled to look at it through a different lens. I don't have to subscribe to everybody else's lens. Go ahead, Steve. (laughs) Go ahead. I I, I just wanted to get that off my chest.
4: I did preface this whole conversation. Is I need to be brought back to reality, right? So you're doing a good job. <laughs> well, and, and, and we're not
0: we're not trying to bring you up to reality, Steve. There's no reason why you shouldn't be optimistic at this point of the season. Every team should be optimistic. We're just we're well, just adding to the conversation. That's all.
4: I, I was gonna couple what well, I was gonna add to what my point was though too yes. was that like I look and you know what? Even with Dallas, who knows what happens with Dak? He's asking freaking go Bucks. You know, I don't even think he's gonna get paid. So who knows? What could even happen with Dak? Uh, Washington's always a mess. And I just feel like with our organization, uh, with Gettleman, with the new leadership we've brought in, I just feel like there is still stability even here. in here. And I feel like it's, it's going to bring a better culture and, than the other teams in our division may have. And I think that will give us a leg up to, to, to kind of move everything forward more quickly. And I just feel – optimistic. I'm not naive to the fact that hey, it's still it's still February. So I'm just saying I just feel optimistic looking at the landscape of the NF- NFC East. All we have to do is to win the division and we're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If our division was consistent and Dallas and Philly finished this season eleven to five, you know, and, and the division was strong, I'd be like there's no way in heck that we're gonna get into the playoffs this year. But I don't see that in the NFC East and I just feel like it's exciting that we actually could actually get to the playoffs next year, and it's not far-fetched, of an idea, too far of an idea.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm, All right, Steve. I'm, I, I, I appreciate o- the phone call. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks so much. I, I can only say this. Uh, right now, you can have some optimism because the coaching staff appears to be the type of coaching staff that will maximize the production of this roster. It does appear that way based on their resumes, So you can feel hopeful and optimistic on that front. You also can feel hopeful and optimistic that the Giants, because they do have some cap room, if they use it wisely, should do well to acquire helpful players in free agency. You also know they've got the fourth overall pick in the draft. So reason to be optimistic that they'll get a guy who's going to make an impact. So you have a lot of reasons to smile and feel good, Steve. We're not going to sit here and hit you over the head and say, (laughs) no, it's terrible. No, that's not the case. We're going to encourage you to feel good and optimistic about it because there are reasons that you can hope. A couple of Twitter remarks I want to get to here, Lance, because I think they're very uh, appropriate. Clayton Harding says, if Marcus Golden had been swapped head-up for uh, for Ngakwe in 2019, he says, I think Marcus had a much better season than Ngakwe. Um, and that's his point. He doesn't state any numbers or facts. But then we have another guy who chimes in. Uh, actually, Harding did earlier. He said uh, Ngakwe had 33 tackles and 10 missed tackles. I'm not sure where he got those numbers from. And he's got Golden with 57 tackles and missing 11. And then he goes on to say, and Golden had more sacks without nearly as much pass rush help from his teammates. He says, give me Marcus all day. a Clearly a big Marcus Golden fan. And, and he obviously, yeah. he did not have the pass rush support that uh, Ngakwe had with the Jaguars.
0: Well, and that's why I immediately said you have to take into consideration who's around that talent when you evaluate whether or not you remove that guy, what he's going to do. I even brought this up the other day, Paul, and I'll bring it to your attention. You know, you and I have had a lot of conversations when the Giants had years where it was JPP and Olivier Vernon, and you look at the sack production when both of those guys were on the field and healthy, The Giants' pass rush operated one way. Then what happened, Paul, when you removed Olivier Vernon from the equation or you removed JPP from the equation? I think it's fair to say now all of a sudden Vernon's seeing a different look than he normally would when he added a guy opposite to take some attention away or JPP or vice versa. So if we've seen that firsthand with the Giants and how the pass rush operates with JPP and Vernon, then why isn't it fair to question it the same way with some other guys
1: who are surrounded by great talent. It's a great example of how the Batman and Robin yeah. component works. Um, this is another really good tweet. Mike Georgia, um, Georgia maybe, perhaps. I'm not sure exactly how he says it. He says, when the uh, with the Skins releasing Norman, could they go a CUDA for a lockdown corner, which if Miami takes a quarterback, and we're assuming Burrow goes to the Bengals at number one, would drop Chase Young to the Giants? At four.
0: Pretty interesting. Well, the Redskins certainly could use a corner. I would agree with that. But once again, it goes back to, I thought, which was a really good question, I believe from our first caller, Scott, when he was talking about, can a corner have the same type of an impact, Paul, as a pass rusher, especially as a rookie? So my answer would go back to, I still think Chase Young can have a much more positive impact on the Redskins' defense in year one. If you believe in him. Correct, if you believe it. But but even if I look at it from a positional standpoint, in order to validate passing up on Young for Okuda, you have to believe that Okuda is a fill-up-the-stat sheet type of guy. I agree. And I don't know about that because I haven't even seen enough at college to say that. Now, granted... Playing corners also targets, Paul. If you don't get the ball thrown your way, how do you justify no filling up the stat sheet? Okay. So I understand you're a little bit more limited than maybe creating your own opportunities up front as a pass rusher. But I still find it hard to believe that the Redskins are going to pass up on Chase Young for a corner. I could see them trading out because maybe they're blown away by an offer, much more so than I could see them passing up on Chase Young.
1: I happen to agree with you. But I do think he does raise an interesting scenario, and certainly the possibility exists because you know that Ron Rivera played with Norman in Carolina and loved the luxury of having a guy who could shut down his side of the field. 100%. So I do think that his, his thought has some logic. I don't know that it's going to play out that way, but I could see it being possible. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I would also –
0: Point out, Paul, when Ron Rivera was in Carolina, to me, a big part of the identity of that defense, especially the year that they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Broncos, it was that rotational group of guys up front in the seven. And I'm not just talking about Luke Keekley. You know, right. K1 Short and Julius Peppers was brought back at one point. He sure was. They had so many guys, and Rivera's a big believer. Attack, attack, attack. So that's why I'm looking at the Redskins and I'm saying to myself, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. Kerrigan. You think he's going to complain about throwing Chase Young in that mix? I mean, it would be the same philosophy. And Jack Del Rio, you think Del Rio's going to shy away from him? Hey, the more the merrier. Give me five, six guys. We can rotate, keep those guys fresh. You can never have enough. I think Spags would be a believer in the philosophy we're talking Did about. Did
1: Del Rio have Woodson as a lockdown guy with the Raiders and his secondary?
0: With Charles Woodson when that was when he moved to safety you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Let me see if they cross paths. Well, it's he, possible. At that
1: point he had moved. He wasn't a lockdown corner anymore. No, but he, he was a major part of that secondary.
0: No, he still was, but I don't know if they crossed paths. Woodson's I'm not sure either. last year with Oakland was two thousand fifteen. So they actually may have crossed paths briefly. And let's see when Jack Del Rio because, you know, he was there with Derek Carr, so it's possible they overlapped. Del Rio as coach of the Raiders fifteen to seventeen. He was with Woodson for One, one year.
1: year. One year. So I mean Obviously, he understands what it is to have a really top-notch, top-flight player in the secondary, although he had already converted at the time to safety. I don't, look, again, I'm going to say the thought is possible. I don't know how likely it is, but I think it's possible. And if you want to dream, let the guy dream. He wants to dream Chase Young is well, This is the time of the year to dream. dream?
0: Well, just like optimism should be high, too, as well as the outlook of the season. However, with that being said... I want to just bring something else to light with respect to the last caller's point about the division. Okay. And how much stock, Paul, you can put into the standings the previous year. Because I think no, you really he was can't. sort of tapping into that. Was he? I, I interpret it
1: that way. I think he was saying that the division well, isn't that great. Well, and but that's based on the standings from this year, though. So, Here, Well, here's the problem. There are so many personnel moves to be made in the next few months. We really don't know how good the division No, really 100%. Did.
0: But let's just use that logic, okay? Let's look at the standings from this past year. Nobody ran away with the division. Dallas certainly had an opportunity to do so. They could not capitalize. So we're talking about nine wins was enough, which some years it's been. First of all, you know my favorite stat. Nobody's won back-to-back NFC East titles since the Eagles have won four in a row from 2001 to 2004. (laughs) That's That's one reason alone why you should be optimistic every year with respect to this division. You love that stat. I love that stat, and until somebody ends it, I'm going to continue to preach it. The turnover rate in the NFC East is unlike anything else we've seen. But let's go back to 2016 because we were bringing up that year earlier when we were utilizing examples about close games. So that year in the division, Paul... Cowboys were 13-3. and They won the division. The Giants were 11-5, and and they made it as a wild card. Okay, now let's go to the following year, 2017. Because if you were to say the same thing as the last caller did, wow, this division, two teams won double-digit games, and the Redskins were at eight, the Eagles were at seven, making it interesting. This is a pretty tough division. So then you look at 2017, and now the Cowboys go from 13 wins to nine. The Giants go from 11 to three. And the Eagles made the jump from 7 to 13. So look at what happened in the a span lot of, of one season. volatility is what you're telling me. That's my point. So my point is, I'm not sleeping on any team, but I'm also not saying that it's impossible that the Eagles go from 9 wins to 13 next season. Just because they didn't appear to be a juggernaut. Remember, the schedule changes too, Paul. You don't play the same opponents that you did across the board. So that's another reason why I just, once again, I personally, I'm not telling you, you shouldn't. I do not read too much into the standings from the previous year, especially in this division. Now, if you wanna have this conversation, Paul, about the NFC East, where the Patriots have been in cruise control, it's a little bit different story. You wanna have it about the NFC North, where it's really been the Ravens and the Steelers. Maybe I'd put a little bit more stock into the standings the previous year. This division, not so much (laughs) because of that example between
1: 16 and 17. Okay, makes perfect sense. I understand what you're saying. Let's head back to the phone
0: lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Welcome to the program, Len, what do you offer us?
5: Yeah, hey guys, how you doing? Doing all right. Um as as you know, uh I'm I'm not an expert. I just I just act like one. <laughs> but I got a couple of, a couple of quick hits for you here. Um the cornerback the, uh, we're talking about from, from the Redskins, Norman. all of a sudden they've lost his name.
4: Norman. Josh Norman. Yeah.
5: yeah. He's jo- – Josh Josh is cooked. He he can't play anymore. Uh, if he gets another job in the NFL, it's going to be after the season starts or it's going to be halfway through the season when injuries hit a team. But I, I think the guy is um, – you know, I get to see a lot of their games down here because he's – you know, they run every week. And um, – I mean, he got benched for a reason.
1: Hey, Len. Yeah, Len. It it kind of validates uh, Dave Gettleman's decision to let him walk from Carolina, doesn't it?
5: Uh, yeah, he was never quite as good as Mr. Snyder thought he was going to be. And uh, boy, I remember those days. Mr. Snyder sent his plane down to pick up Josh and his family and fly him up here, and you know they made a big deal. And uh, you know that's 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 okay, but it never quite worked out the way. I think Mr. Snyder thought it, you know, thought it was going to work out. But I, I mean, he's had a career. But Paul, I agree with you. I, I don't want to see him on our roster, not and not just because he's he's cooked. I mean, that's the major reason. But <laughs> I mean, there's too much too much baggage there. I, I wouldn't want him on our roster.
0: Okay. Um, I don't foresee that happening. I think we were just talking in general about the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I understand maybe that was just a way for me to get a little dig in on Josh and the you know with the Beckham thing <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you, you know Ross Cockwell. i ne- paul i never I never quite understood why he didn 't get another year with us,
1: it he got a lot not. of money maybe
5: he, yeah maybe maybe it was Carolina maybe made him a it was sweet offer. contract yeah, maybe it was like the contract, but um, you know one one other thing that you didn 't have a chance to talk about with Cockwell. I, I, I like former Steelers players. I, I mean, there's an attitude, there's a motor. You spend time in that locker room and you spend time around Tomlin. I'm, I'm a big Mike Tomlin fan. You you spend time around that guy and in that locker room, and you you come out of there with an attitude. And that goes a long way in the NFC East. Um, I know there's differences of opinion on coaches with the NFC East experience, but I'm um, – uh, I'm, I'm a big favorite of coaches who have had NFC East experience. I don't think you can get enough of them on your roster. There's something about this division. Something about going into those stadiums. Um, man, if you can translate that to your players who've never been in there, I think you've got a better chance of winning. You've Got a better chance of winning. Um, you know, I'm, try, I'm trying to get my I'm trying to get my roster search straight. Actually, my scorecard. And so, so I'm into free agency, and I'm look, I think I got everybody figured out, former Giants players, uh, who were on the roster last year, except two guys. Is Rosas um, an unrestricted free agent?
1: No. He signed, Paul? No, R- Rosas is a restricted.
5: Restricted free agent.
1: Okay. Yeah, he might even be in exclusive rights. The bottom line is he's not going anywhere.
5: Yeah, okay. Okay, that's, that's
0: Yeah, he's a restricted free agent, Rosas. Is, that's his is, classification.
5: Is is uh, He is a restricted free agent?
0: Jalapio's a restricted free agent. Yeah, he's that's what he has ca- listed. Same category. As. Yeah. yeah,
5: good. Thank you. Um, has the cap number been announced yet by the league?
0: It doesn't get announced officially until right before the league year starts. That's okay. when they announce it.
5: Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about Ingram for a second and mainly the injury. Um, I, I don't think we heard the words Liz Frank injury related to Ingram as, as much as we've heard Liz Frank associated with uh, Cam Newton in Carolina. I mean, they're pretty upfront about that. It, 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 has that injury, because that's a terrible injury, um, it, has that been ruled out with Ingram? Do you, uh, have you guys know anything in, about that? In, uh,
1: that word never came up. Ingram had the surgery. Uh, at the very end of the season, and he's been rehabbing.
5: Okay, yeah, okay. So it was not Liz Frank. As that, far
1: as I know, it step. was not. Well, I, I mean, it wasn't I mean, publicly acknowledged as that
0: in okay. terms of the details.
1: Yeah. Okay. And and I do know the last time that uh, there was any conversation about him from the team, it was that the surgery went well, and they do expect yeah. him to heal and be ready for training camp.
5: Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, combine number 337 invitees. That seems like a <laughs> kind of a funny number to come down on. I mean, you want to say, why wasn't it 340 or why wasn't it 325? How do you get, how do you get invited? I mean, only 250. If, if you use all of the allotment of the comp picks and add them to the seven rounds, 32 teams, you get you get 256 picks. And here's 337. So there's approximately 80 guys, um, you know, 80 guys invited who were past the 256. How do do you get invited to the combine? I don't know, Uh, Len. uh,
1: All I can tell you is I'm invited as a media member, but not to participate. (laughs) I can power walk the 40 in 16 seconds, and that was not enough to get me in the drills. (laughs) That's all I can say.
5: I'll tell you what—it's a good break for a lot, for a lot of players who can show off their stuff when you have that number, and that's uh, that's that's good for everybody—not just the players, but the teams as well. And so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. And you know, going into the combine, here, here, here here's where I am on the draft um, in this order: uh, Young, Okuda, and and the tackle from Iowa—is it Worfs? Worfs.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep
5: those are those are my those are my three guys even if you know if pick four or if we trade down it's probably not going to be young if we trade if we trade down but those are the three guys right now Now, not so long way to the draft uh but those are my those are my guys if you know if if he's anywhere near if young is anywhere near as good as bosa oh my
0: goodness
1: yeah, well that's asking a lot Well, Len, we, Len we gotta run we're, yeah. we're running out of time yeah, Appreciate right. the uh, phone good. call Have a good yep. weekend You Have got it, thanks so
0: much Let's check in with Don in Texas Don, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live What do you got for us?
6: Hey, Lance, AP, Doc, I'm better than you two on Valentine's Day? What a, what a bonus that is. <laughs> I don't know if most people interpret it that way, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> most <laughs> people think we're
1: sour, not sweet. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> the end of the show, I'll be pretty quick. guys. I have a comment and two questions, all right? Yes. So as far as free agency, I honestly don't think that the, uh going to do a whole lot as far as big splashes. What I do believe is going to happen is one splash and a bunch of prove-it deals. So, which leads me to my first question. Like, for example, I heard Len talking about the Steelers before, and there's somebody out there who could be on a Prove-It deal as well, who's already Burns. Falls under the, as far as the Beasleys, the Vernon Hardgraves. there's a bunch of guys out there that could be Prove-It players.
1: Mm-hmm. But I
6: do believe if they don't make a splash at defensive end, and, and PDA, you talk about the Batman and Robin thing, if we go into next season the way we are, we're going to look like Selma and Louise at pass rush. This is going to be pretty bad, okay? So I do believe, this is my first question, would you prefer... Signing Williams and Golden or signing and splashing Jadavian Clowney? That's my first question.
0: So you're saying you use the money that you would use towards Golden and Williams to just get Clowney? So I understand you correctly?
1: That's right, Lance. I don't know if those numbers are going to add up, to be perfectly frank with you, but the thing about Clowney is that his injury history is a little bit more scary than the other two guys that you just mentioned. Uh, I would throw out a, a, another name, by the way, and I think he might get tagged. You talked about the Steelers a second ago, Bud Dupree.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So You, you know,
1: you, you you might get a somewhat reasonable price on him if, if he winds up, you know, hitting the street. See, my
0: concern with the trade off that you laid out, Don, is that if I'm going to spend all that money on Clowney, I still want Robin with Clowney. Okay, That doesn't mean I need a home run hitter, but I need somebody like a Marcus Golden or around that to put with Clowney. So if you're not giving me somebody to put with Clowning, then I don't know if I want to put all my resources towards just Clowney because then I'm pretty much back at stage one. Yeah, I'm back where I've got one guy, and then I'm hoping Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez take significant steps forward. So I don't know how much progress you truly make if you follow that path.
6: Makes sense. Yeah, I'm All with right.
1: you my on next, that one, Lance.
6: All right, and my next question, and I've heard you guys talk, You as far as in the draft, if they're going to trade out of the four pick, I've heard a couple of you guys say no pass, not past the seventh oh, pick. I kind of the think o-
1: seven's the, the, the litmus test for me. I, I don't know that I'd go further than seven. I, I'd consider it if the price was right, but right now, I think I'd be a little queasy going beyond seven.
6: And and which leads me to my next question, Pete. What if the Raiders offered you their two first rounds, 12 and 19 for four? Would you do it? Hmm. Me, personally, I would, because there's such value. And, P. Dot, you and I don't agree on a lot of things, but I'm starting to agree with your, your sentiment in the draft. Which I is always
0: dangerous, that... by the way, Don, but go ahead, yeah.
6: <laughs> I, do believe, I do believe the Giants are going to look at a tackle with their first pick, which means if you drop down to 12, yeah. you can land one of those top five tackles, and at 19, you can get one of the next-tier pass rushers, like an Espina, who I'm huge on because he reminds me of T.J. Watt. So, in my opinion, why not do it? Because they have so many holes, and to move this ship, they need a lot of people to do it. So, which is why I don't want to invest in one thing when they can get two first-rounders versus one. All right. That's my question. Would you do Here's my, here's my, it. my yeah, answer. Yeah, you got
1: it, Don. Appreciate the phone call. I would say this. I would not jump at that deal. If I made the deal, it would be because the way the top three players fell off the board did not suit me very well and I'm sitting there at four and I'm not feeling real good about the first three players that were picked it makes me feel jumpy uh, maybe then I consider going down that far but at the moment I would not consider going down to 12 and 19.
0: I would be in alignment with you the only way that I make that deal is what's my board look like between 4 and 13? And the reason why I'm saying a 13 big, it, is in yeah, case it's a huge you know, I miss out on a guy. If there's not a drop-off, Paul, between the 4 through 13 guys, then I make that deal because then I say to myself, I'm really living with whoever I think I can at least get at 12. And then 19, clearly you have to wow. take into consideration there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off. But if there's a 4 guy there and there's a significant difference between 4 versus 12th, 13th guy, then how do I make that jump down and
1: I'm going to miss out on a big playmaker? Before we go, and I know we're running out of time, let's give a hypothetical. Let's go off of the low-possibility hypothetical that Chase Young is there at four. If the Giants really believe that Chase Young could be a Bosa-type impact pass rusher, now I don't think he's going to be there. I think he'll be gone. I'm with you. And I do think that the Giants are going to wind up getting a premier offensive tackle prospect with their first-round pick. But let's just say that they think that Chase Young is truly an impact pass rusher that they can't pass up. Last year, Gettleman said it was hard to pass up Josh Allen, but he had to get Daniel Jones.
0: Well, A little bit different because it's a quarterback position I get we're talking it. about.
1: But if they think that Chase Young is that much of an impact guy and he truly has a higher grade than any of the other offensive tackles and he falls to four, don't you have to take him? Well, if Chase Young is there?
0: Don't you have to take yeah, it? I mean, I don't even think I hesitate. Right. I absolutely. So
1: then him. you're not making the trade to go down to no, four and not nine. at nine. Which is another reason I mean, why you have to 19. wait
0: for the draft to even entertain a yeah. trade. That's And that's one. why my answer
1: yeah. to Don is uh right now I'm really not considering that deal, but if if because that could happen. No, but I'm I've, I'm with you, Paul. Where you said if
0: three guys get off the board and those were the separations between then the rest of the pack, then it's a conversation worth having. But if four and five on your board is still separating itself from the rest of the group, then you give in the card and you take that yeah. player. You got you, you got to You have to. Because at the end of the day, you're looking for impactful players, not volume. Volume's great, Paul. If volume doesn't equate to substance, it doesn't matter. I could have seven defensive linemen. If they add up for three sacks, who cares that you have seven? Look
1: at it this way. If they think a guy like Thomas or Wurfs, you know, if one of those offensive tackles, if they think there's Jonathan Ogden sitting there, you know, we're talking about a decade long of Pro Bowls and, and a guy who, you know, could go to Canton, you take him.
0: Absolutely. That is going to wrap things up for us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Remember, it is brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold. to freshman made to chill. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday. No show Monday because it is President's Day. So enjoy the three-day weekend and the extra extended Valentine's weekend as well. We'll work on whether or not we're sweet or sour, depending on whatever Paul said earlier in the program. Still trying to wrap my head around that. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Enjoy the upcoming weekend. And always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.